1: Welcome into the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast, brought to you by our friends over at WinBed. I'm your host, John McCackney, joined as always by Mario Puig. We got a ton to discuss today. It's obviously the legal tampering period for, what, like another three hours or so until that that closes up. That opened up on Monday, and folks, a lot of things have happened. So we are going to unpack all the major storylines from across the league from these last 48 hours or so. Let's start the show. Welcome back in RoadWire Fantasy Football Podcast. John McCackney joined, as always, by Mario Puig. So since we last talked last Wednesday, obviously a ton has gone on. We were doing a combine recap edition a week ago. Now we're looking ahead to the established players and where a lot of them are heading next. So obviously there's been a lot of agreements put in place over the last couple of days, but I want to start things off with something that's a little bit more up in the air obviously Deshaun Watson has kind of reentered the discourse and, and in a year where, you know, a couple of big name quarterbacks are stepping away. Well, maybe just one at this point with, with Tom Brady announcing to unretire. Um so that that leaves, that, <laughs> <laughs> that leaves one spot open or uh, less open than previously thought. Of course, Pittsburgh has, has addressed their quarterback situation. We'll get to that as well, but, Let's get into Deshaun Watson. This has obviously been a a fascinating and and fast-moving couple of days as far as as, uh, the the narrative around him is concerned. It it sounded like as of Tuesday that he had kind of pared down his options, a lot of NFC South teams, the Saints, and that had a a bit of a ripple effect. Teron Armstead kind of uh, supposedly reading the tea leaves, waiting for Watson to make his decision as to whether he's going to return to the Saints. Uh, we got the Falcons in the mix. I'm not sure how mathematically that that would work with, with Matt Ryan's gigantic cap hits over the next little bit. Maybe you can shed some light on that. And then, of course, Tuesday night, Baker Mayfield has the, the tearful kind of post um, to the city of Cleveland, which certainly implies that they could be parting ways. And oh, if you're going to part ways with, with your starting quarterback and then there's a guy of Deshaun Watson's caliber out there, maybe you kick the tires on that as well. So what's the latest uh, that, that you know, and what have you made uh, of this kind of whirlwind 48 hours or so when it comes to Watson's uh, specifically?
2: Yeah, I haven't thought about it that much because I don't know what there is to think about. It seems like one of those cases we can only know so much. And until we know more, we're kind of just spinning our tires, not really going anywhere. Uh, or at least that's how I feel. I, I can't figure it out any more than that. So I um, if, if Deshaun has added the Falcons to the list of teams that he's willing to waive his no-trade clause for, then uh, I I don't know how specifically it would go, but I think they're involved at that point. Like The question wouldn't have really been raised to him unless it was already at that point. So just glancing at Over the Cap and, and their file on Matt Ryan, I don't know if this is including the latest update. Uh, perhaps it is. Perhaps it's not, but for 2022 this year, they'd be eating 18.9 million to uh, move him. And I guess I don't know how this works, but they're showing uh, they're showing two void years at the end of this contract for 2025 and 2026, where they over the course of those two years eat another uh, nine million. I don't know if this is. Let's see. That's a pre pre June first cut. I guess I should have clicked on this drop. I didn't notice this drop down thing here. Uh, <laughs> trade. Um, I guess they can, they can do this without eating money if they trade after June 1st, but I don't know if they still do that thing where they're allowed to do a cut or trade at any time of the year and just designate it as Uh post June 1st. Obviously they'll need to move them before June 1st, uh, if, if they're going to get in on this. So yeah, I don't know if there's a way they can technically reach that June 1st thing, but if not, it looks like they're basically eating like 19 million this year. Six million in 2025, three million in 2026, and for some reason, saving 19 million in the two years in between those. So yeah, but- it's a lot of, uh, yeah, they're really making Rube Goldberg contracts nowadays. <laughs> so when the balloon goes upwards and
1: you use the scissors to cut the string, then the, the 16 pound balloon. Uh, bowling ball comes down and then you get to shed Matt Ryan's cap hit that that's kind of what what you're describing there isn't the the June 1st stipulation right around the time that that Atlanta actually moved Julio Jones a year ago
2: right so there used there was a time where you literally had to do that on like June 1st or June 2nd or something and that was a way of like splitting up the cap hit the, the, the dead money over like two years or three years or something like that i can't remember uh how it worked exactly because the alternative was you eat the whole cap penalty all at once in the current year if it's not post june 1st and then for some reason they eventually changed it to you can just call it a june 1st cut even if you're doing it at some other time of the year which i don't really i don't know why it works that way but uh, if, if they can do that, then that would ide- that would be much easier. And they could still, I guess, have so much cap space they can just eat that 18 million, uh, even if that isn't an option. But it, it would seem like the the Matt Ryan contract requires a little bit more uh, trickery, you know, refining before they can move it, uh, or at least you know as easily as a player like Baker Mayfield's contract by contrast. Sure. Exactly. And 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 speaking of Baker Mayfield, so what
1: what do we think of Cleveland right now? Do do we think that Mayfield has A played his last down as a Cleveland Brown and and you know, how likely would it be that that Watson ends up there and you know, how, how do you view this Cleveland offense if if those pieces are in place now in addition to um everything that happened this weekend with Amari Cooper
2: joining? Yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea what to make of Baker Mayfield's situation relative to Stefanski, and I don't know how either of them stands relative to kind of like the front office sort of guys. I, I don't really know. It would not be surprising to me if Mayfield's done in Cleveland. I, I guess just for the fact that he's been awful and he's not really like building any sort of you know culture over there. You know, it's like uh, Odell Beckham clearly did not get along well with him. Jarvis Landry's pretty tight with Odell Beckham, so I doubt he'll tell you that. Oh yeah, I love Baker. Uh, right. Yeah, no one, no one really seems likely to go to bat for him. I, I guess, uh, I guess Austin Hooper faved. Uh, I don't know that Instagram what they call it or if it's on Twitter wherever it happened. But apparently he clicked like on the the Baker Mayfield open letter, uh, but they cut him. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's like uh, I, I don't really know who in Cleveland would be like, no, don't trade him. So. I don't know. I guess they I guess they could get rid of him. It's like no one's going to stop it if it starts in motion.
1: No, cer- certainly doesn't seem so um, that. And then my, my sort of uh, conspiracy theory brain, I know that Pittsburgh just signed Mitchell Trubisky, but you know, what if, what if Baker Mayfield some, somehow ended up on, on the Steelers, like it, you know, he, he waves his no trade or, or I don't even know if he has one, but he finds his way to just be able to play Cleveland two years or two games Per season, I feel like he would he would try to finagle um, that out of this because this doesn't seem like it's going to end uh, amicably for either side.
2: Right, that would be pretty funny. I don't I don't know who would even take Mayfield in a trade. You know, it, it, you could just say like, well, Houston, of course. I don't know if he's starting ahead of Davis Mills, so <laughs> Davis Mills is not going to the team that they're trading Deshaun Watson to. You know, so unless there's a three team trade scenario or something. I think Baker Mayfield could be a backup or just kind of like out of the league this year, uh, you know, waiting for a starting role if he thinks he's above being a backup or something. I don't really know. Cause like, why would you even sign Baker Mayfield? Tr- why would you, why would you trade for Baker Mayfield when you can just sign? Like, I, I know James Winston has this ACL thing, but Marcus Mariota, assuming his elbow isn't destroyed. It's like, you can just sign him for free. He's better than Trubisky, He's better than uh, Mayfield. Like, why would you trade? Mayfield. Like, I don't even know. I'm not even convinced that anyone would trade for him. I'm not convinced that the, that the Texans care. They might just be like, give us other stuff. You know, it's amazing to think, you know, how
1: quickly things change. Like th- this week, three years ago is when the Browns made the blockbuster deal to acquire Odell Beckham in, in the, the kind of general sense after Mayfield, you know, was relatively impressive as a rookie, it was this Browns team is about to take off the first year. Yeah. It, it kind of flops. Obviously, 2020, they, they did well for themselves, made it to the second round of the, of the postseason and, and got a road win in Pittsburgh along the way. And then this year fizzles out again. I think that, you know, they had a lot of injuries, but things were obviously really clunky there in Cleveland, especially relative to, to expectations coming into the year. It's just amazing to me how quickly – um that this stuff can, can change and you know obviously Odell Beckham now re- recovering from uh his ACL tear that he suffered in the Super Bowl that, that he ended up winning uh you know just yeah. a couple months ago
2: yeah it is it is funny to think of how quickly like uh, Stefanski year one to year two Matt Nagy from year one to year two it's just like seem uh even, even like the Panthers Joe Brady and Matt Rule mm-hmm. their first year it's like sometimes these things just explode. And uh, I think the Browns had signs of it happening even before they did, did, you know, cause it was just, it's like Baker Mayfield is not landing any of these throws. You can't just sort of run so many two tight end formations that you magically end up winning for just that fact. Like you can't just pursue these correlating uh, personnel tendencies to win tendencies. Cause it's like, you, you don't have good players at those positions that you're tracking these correlations for like running a three tight end offense, of a, a lot of blocking with Austin Hooper, who's a finesse player and David and Joku, who's a high jumper. Like it's, it's a stupid idea and it's going to wear itself out eventually. And when it does it's like Baker Mayfield hasn't given any reason to think he'll pick up the slack. And this year, you know, it hit the fan and he didn't do anything to fix the team. And it all just fell apart right there.
1: Well, and then, you know, you add the third tight end, Harrison Bryant, who, um, you know, is, pretty light for an NFL tight end especially if you're going to designate him. Yeah, he's the one who splits teams.
2: out wide for them. So he's like a wide receiver subtype of their tight end position that already is very run oriented and inline oriented, you know, mm-hmm. just it maybe it would have made more sense and indeed it would have made more sense if they had like blocking tight ends, like 250 plus pound guys to to amplify Chubb that much more as a runner. But instead they're like we're going to take these skinny finesse light uh, tight ends who who were you know, pass-catching specialists in college, basically, and uh make, make them play ice bowl.
1: Yeah, good, good idea. Obviously, uh worked out extremely well. I believe they – didn't they make Austin Hooper the highest-paid tight end in football when, when they got him? He was, like, second at
2: the time or something oh, like God. that. And, and after a couple extensions, I think he was down to, like, five. But, yeah, he, he was way up there. And I know people – I was talking to some people who were like, that's not Stefanski's fault. That's the GM's fault. It's like, you don't think Stefanski's talking to the GM. You know, you think if – that if Stefanski had said to the GM, I don't think we should sign Hooper to that contract, that the GM still does it. Like that's not, that's not how coaches get hired. That's not like the working relationships they have with the front offices. So uh, Stefanski, I think kind of looks a little silly for it, but admittedly, you know, he, he could have made the situation worse than it was. Like he at least got them playing and stuff, but the the broader vision was always kind of silly, I think.
1: Yeah, I I think so as well. Um, Speaking of, or, no, we'll, we'll go, we'll, we'll go down this route. So, uh, you know, we were just talking about how Cleveland made all the splashy moves in the off season a couple of years ago and it didn't pan out every single year. There seems to be a, a team that, that endeavors to match that or, or, you know, kind of snatch the, the off season trophy as it were, the, the Washington football team, the Washington commanders uh, used to be uh, the, the Kings of that, the Albert Hainsworth, uh, Adam Archuleta years, but this year, Jacksonville really, really kind of blew the lid off of things. On Monday, a lot of outrage for for the Christian Kirk contract. And and then, you know, they obviously uh, spent a ton of money elsewhere. I believe they acquired Brandon Scherf, a couple other guys, a lot of big signings. So uh, I think one of the better lines I saw on Twitter regarding the Jaguars is the Jaguars are going out there and getting a bunch of guys who were not on last year's Jaguars team. And that
2: alone is not a bad strategy. And I tend to agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I was concerned that players just wouldn't even really be willing to sign with the Jaguars, and especially not at, you know, fair market rates, because of Trent Balky, and he's just on bad terms with a bunch of agents, including apparently like the biggest agency, so that, you know, when you, when when you're already an undesirable team to play for, because you suck, and additionally, you are dislikable, like, you don't, you don't need to add that third concern of, of, I don't know, just, just like, not having up to sixty percent of the free agent pool totally unwilling to answer the phone when you call. Oh, like is that it? Can, so that can't. Can ha- oh, uh, no. I was uh, maybe like Sexton. I don't know. Um, oh, yeah. but it's it's a uh, it's not going to help your negotiating position at the very least. You know, like Christian Kirk call, answers the phone. Like, hey, Trent, uh, you'll notice that I answered this call. Uh, so the rate just went up. Whatever you thought it was, it's, it's a little higher than that. Uh, that's that's basically how the best-case scenario looked. And uh, so to me, this is the best-case scenario. Like, I, I was worried that they wouldn't even be able to sign. I thought they might have to pay someone like Valdez Scantling like $18 million a year to sign there. And uh, he's a fine player or whatever, but he's he's you know, a part-time player, whereas Christian Kirk is a three-down player. And if they have put him in the slot anyway – Christian Kirk will easily pay off this deal, in my opinion. And especially when you get past like the agent reported numbers of the four years, 84 million, that basically just turned out to not really be true. Uh, You can bet the agent is who was the source on that one, because uh, you click on the over the cap. I don't know where they get these official documents or whatever. They got them pretty quick over there. And over the cap, you go to the the profiles of Christian Kirk and Zay Jones. It's not four years, 84 million for Christian Kirk. It's more like 16 and a half million per year over three years, and the Zay Jones one is like 7.085 million per year over two years, not uh, three years, 30 million, or whatever people were saying. So, uh, the numbers are not even bad in that sense. I don't know what I don't know much about this, uh, Connecticut and the Jets defensive tackle. uh, (laughs) Defensive tackle is that got the name like Folo Run Samu or whatever. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know his, how to say his name. Uh, he's actually a pretty athletic guy. He's played a bunch of snaps for the Jets, so maybe that one's okay. But um, making a signing like that Atlanta linebacker and then cutting Miles Jack seemed a little weird to me because it's like a logo coon is basically just kind of like FCS, less athletic, skinnier version of Miles Jack. So, um, I don't know, maybe those signings work out okay. They They certainly seem a little, you know, aggressive or desperate. Mm-hmm. to jump in that fast to to comprise so much of the broad volume of free agent agreements it's like the jags have like 40% of all the signings right now it feels like uh, as one team so um yeah they're they're being a little reckless and this is not you know getting trent balky any sort of goodwill in my opinion it's like what they're doing is is kind of the bare minimum and they should be in a better position than it already is so i'm, I'm definitely not saying balky's doing a good job but i did think it would go worse somehow than this
1: So is it a function of them having a ton of, you know, cap space to work with coupled with the fact that maybe this free agent class relative to some other years, maybe lacking a little bit of that like high end top tier?
2: I don't know. I mean, I guess I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head what the offensive line situation is like, like Scherf for all I know could be the best one. I don't, I didn't look at them very closely. Uh, I don't consider Allen Robinson more, worthwhile than Christian Kirk. So like I don't uh I do think they screwed up passing on DJ Chark, letting him go to the Lions. I guess there's there's not so much to say with him in the Lions. Like he's gonna be a decoy. Jared Goff can barely throw to the intermediate and Chark can run to the intermediate, but Chark is clearly their most qualified downfield guy. So he's gonna more so help Amon Ross St. Brown, I would say, or at least he would sooner help him than hurt him. Uh, it's good signing for the Lions, but it's bad for Chark because he, he's just gonna be doing a lot of distance running for not many targets and, and even fewer catchable targets. Um, but he would have been great, great in, way to stay in shape. He would have great been great in Jackson. Oh yeah, he'll uh, he'll be in great shape for uh, next free agency. Uh, so um, I think it would have been great to keep Chark at 10 million a year rather than pay 7.085 or whatever for Zay Jones. Um, in that sense like the the Jaguars are actually kind of being a little bit stingy. Despite spending so much, it's like they could have spent all this without, you know, also cutting Miles Jack and letting Chark walk. Uh, it would have been nice to have Chark there because, as good as Christian Kirk is, like you're in trouble if he's your best downfield threat. And right now, Evan Ingram, who, who I guess we could have also mentioned, they, they signed Ingram to a one year, $9 million deal. I actually like that one too, if they use him a certain way. If you have Kirk in the slot and if you have Evan Ingram playing uh, mostly in line on the other side, but ideally a good amount in the slot as well. Uh, or at least being lined up as like the second tight end on the outermost part opposite Kirk in the slot. That's still pretty tough for two safeties and those linebackers to deal with. Like Ingram running a four four two at two hundred thirty six pounds or whatever. Uh, it's a bit faster than Christian Kirk's four four seven at something like two o one or whatever. So uh, that's that's at once nothing close to DJ Chark and his boundary like downfield sideline speed. But that is a lot of speed in the middle of the field and against safeties and against linebackers. So, particularly if they could put those two there, I think the Jaguars' offense might be okay. Uh, but it would have been better yet, much better yet, to have Chark out there instead of Zay Jones. Because Zay Jones, if he's good, he's not running more than like 10 yards per route for you. Like he can't really be a downfield guy. He just doesn't really have that sort of presence. So, uh, if they run Kirk and Ingram and Zay Jones all in that same like eight yard depth, then they're crowding the field on themselves and and that's not going to work either. So uh, there's, there's definitely ways it could go badly yet, but if they are not completely stupid, they could also, I think make some of these criticisms seem a little hysterical in hindsight. So
1: looking at, at this Jaguars, you know, skill position group, and I'll start with, with the tight ends, you know, what, what do you think of, Doug Peterson's experience and what what he's shown to be a, as an NFL coach and his usage of tight ends when you have, you know, again, a guy in Everton Ingram that you just signed in free agency, made, made a priority. You you traded for Dan Arnold a year ago, and I believe you drafted Luke Farrell just a year ago as well. Um, so that I mean, that's a lot kind of tied up in, into the tight end position there. And you also, again, like you said, have, have Christian Kirk and Say Jones, the new additions chart uh, is gone. How does LaVisca Chenault fit into right. this? I'm sure a lot of people want to know. And, and is Marvin Jones coming back as well?
2: Man, I hope not. I mean, I wish Marvin Jones well or whatever, but if him, Zay Jones, and Christian Kirk are the three receivers on the field, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know. They, they should cut Marvin Jones, in, in my opinion. I don't know um, what to make about LaVisca Chenault, though. I'm pretty surprised at how poorly things have turned for him in this past year. Like he had a totally decent rookie year. I was always of the position that he was pretty overhyped. And especially when people started saying like, Oh, he's, he's the alpha receiver DJ Charks, just some bum. Like I, I'm definitely more a team Chark than I am Levisca P- team, LaVisca Chenault. To me, Chanel is just Muhammad Sanu, but Muhammad Sanu is not some bum either. So to hear people talking about Chenault, like there's just nothing you can do with him. That also seems too far to me. So, I don't understand why there's this, you know, such varying opinion on him. And I don't understand why it's so extreme, the differences between them. Uh, but I tend to think in this case, the truth is somewhere in the middle. It was like, you know, he it was silly to compare him to Des Bryant as a prospect, but also he's totally fine as a slot receiver. And he specifically struggled last year after the Chark injury. And when that happened, they moved him from the slot to playing outside so that they could put uh, Jamal Agnew in the slot. So that was stupid. And so, like, Jamal Agnew didn't do anything, and LaVisca Chennault just turned to dust outside because he can't separate or push upfield out there. So, if, like, if, if they hadn't used him the wrong way in the first place, people wouldn't be quite so low on him right now. And, and uh, with, with that said, I don't know how there's any room for him to function here. Like, the best-case scenario I can imagine is they almost try to use him like Trey Burton or something like that, mm-hmm. like the way Doug Peterson used Trey Burton – because I, I don't think you can have Chenault running outside. I think you need him running in the middle of the field. I don't even... I don't think he... Bar- I think he barely registers to a defense when you line him up outside.
1: So, in that case, you know, do, do we feel like Kirk basically is going to just exclude Chenault from the, from this off- offense almost? Do you, do if they're think making the right good?
2: call, which mm-hmm. is why it's so dreary for Chenault. It's like the only way he gets on the field is if the Jaguars are just destroying themselves with stupid decisions. So... There's no good way for him to get on the field with the jaguars as far as I see it
1: well do do you think in it you know' we'll, we'll keep the the cynicism uh rolling here. do you think they are we sure that they use Kirk the right way like they, no. they spent all this money on him Not at all do they yeah. do they go for it on you know that they, they spend all this money do they use him outside to to kind of justify that as opposed to paying that much for a slot receiver?
2: So Doug Peterson definitely made some strange decisions at the end there with the Eagles. Uh, we could perhaps blame some of that on a pseudonymous uh, betting expert out there who apparently had had his hands in their game planning one way or another. Which I would not have advised, Doug. I would not recommend that. Um, don't do it again. in Jacksonville, and maybe maybe you'll come to the right conclusion. But yeah, I don't I don't know if he's. Like I definitely like him a lot more than Urban Meyer, and I trust Doug Peterson to some extent, but he's going to have Balky trying to influence him, and we need, in this case, Doug to be less friendly than he was in Philadelphia, where he kind of got pushed around by Carson Wentz and apparently the front office. Uh, he should have he been ready to, you know, he should have took a knife with him to that fight at the very least because they, they just kind of bullied him out and he just ended up on the street for a year and now he's working with Trent Balky, So <laughs> this time around, you need to play that game, you know, have a dagger this time. And because uh, Trent Balky's carrying a dagger and, and, you know, if you do everything he says, you'll both get fired in a year. And he's got uh, a teal-colored cloak uh, as well. Uh, Does does he? I don't know. You, you said... You said dagger. Oh, or sorry. I didn't. Commons. I didn't know if there was if there was some like tr- uh, Trent Balky incident that I was unaware <laughs> of. I, I thought I knew all of them already. <laughs> he's,
1: he's, he's out there wearing a teal kimono, and just mayhem is ensuing. Um, before we we get on a little bit further, want to stay in this in the state of Florida. Let's talk about what Miami has done. So that Miami. And running backs have seemed to be like oil and water over over the last few years. I mean, we've seen Patrick Laird get fantasy relevance in two point per reception formats, you know, type of thing. So uh, they go ahead. They grab Chase Edmonds. Uh, So so the ripple effects there, of course, James Conner going back to Arizona. But Edmonds enters this group of just all, I mean, they're going for like the all replacement level team. It feels like in, in Miami as, as it pertains to its running backs.
2: Yeah. I hate that team. Uh <laughs> They are disgusting. They're going to be awful again. They have they just have no anything. There's just, it, it seems at best you would describe them as just sort of random with what they do, but that's not even true. It's like they have a very particular commitment to wrong ideas. And in this case, Chase Edmonds, like he's a good player, but he's totally redundant to miles Gaskin and even Duke Johnson. Like, why do you need a redundancy of a third down back type? You need, you need somebody else. You don't need Edmonds. Like even if you're, and if you're cutting Gaskin and, you know, letting Duke Johnson walk, uh, which I guess they might as well do if they want to get their money's worth out of Edmonds. It's like, that's just a lateral move. Like you should be spending that cap space on getting something that you don't have instead of getting more of what you already do just with like taking up for some reason uh like cap penalties to make room for the, the new redundant one like it, it just doesn't make any sense so um if there, it's it's interesting to see uh is it Greer is it Greer the name of the GM I don't know if he's gonna be like or I don't know if he's just kind of like a lame duck kind of thing or if he's been the one pushing these buttons that you know like last year it's like signing Malcolm Brown and going into the year with with him and playing like 30 snaps and and getting like four carries and then getting, you know, miles Gaskin, no work specifically after miles Gaskin did so good in 2020, like that might not have even really been Flores's call. It seemed like Flores had pretty constant disagreements with the front office there. Mm -hmm. So um, if this is just the front office, like making a decision for McDaniel, then that doesn't make him look particularly good. Uh, I don't know. I, I I think Edmonds is a fine player. He'll probably do okay with whatever number of snaps they give him. But I'm worried about uh, the quality of those snaps, certainly, and also the consistency. Like if if uh, I mean, I guess Flores was the one yanking Brown and Gaskin in and out of the lineup. But uh, I don't know. I, I I guess I would be surprised if if uh, McDaniel we're truly free to run the team that he wants the, the way that he wants to. So
1: I, I I guess going off of that, because McDaniel is something of an unknown, we, we haven't seen him in a head coaching position just yet, obviously was able to to help. And, you know, there, there will be a distinction and we'll figure out how much of the the, the 49ers' success on the ground was, was McDaniel and how much of it was Shanahan. I'm, I'm willing to bet it was mostly Shanahan, but certainly oh, yeah. McDaniel probably added some wrinkles in there. So do we think that McDaniel – can be the type of coach that that can get production that's greater than the sum of its parts from the from the run game just by his Xs and Os acumen or, or are we kind of uh doubting that, that that can come together for this Miami team
2: well it was definitely Shanahan who was responsible for the 49ers production but McDaniel could still be good like just because Shanahan was the reason that it worked that well in that case, doesn't mean that if Shanahan weren't there, McDaniel couldn't have gotten a similar sort of return. Uh, You know, you got a case like Matt LaFleur being behind Sean McVay, for instance, like clearly didn't invent anything, still turned out rather good, uh, even as an understudy. But uh, to be honest, I don't know that much about McDaniel. I don't know much about his history, especially. Um, I know he's talked a little bit about running the ball, and I know that made certain people very upset. Oh, yeah um, but to say that you know what <laughs> running the football means is like unforgivable you can't to, no. to so much as, as be familiar with the concept is deeply suspicious and uh McDaniel <laughs> McDaniel was like oh yeah I want to do that sometimes it's like Arr! oh my God. get him out of here um yeah I, I don't know I think it. I think he'll probably end up failing but for different reasons I don't I don't think we need if if, if he does fail, you don't need to worry about him running too much. They'll be losing, you know? If, if he's running too much, we're complaining about how they're winning games, which uh, they'll do that, those particular people that I was talking about. They'll definitely complain if they are winning and running because it's better to pass and lose.
1: Right, of, of course. And, and, you know, when you have someone like, like Tua who hasn't looked awesome thus far, oh, maybe running the ball it's, is, it's, good, is a good idea. Are you allowed yeah, to how skip that? how do I skip that.
2: Sure. How did I skip that part? Tua, by the way, it sounds real bad, man. Like, it sounds like people who are close to the team or or were recently close to the team are going around telling anyone who listens just like you can't play you can't do anything it's not it chief yeah and it's it seems like the people saying this are saying it with like an indiscretion and and like aggressiveness that you just don't see it's like like they're it's like they're trying to warn us (laughs) like two is really bad (laughs) run for your life yeah look out
1: oh man so so uh yeah, maybe re- running the ball is a good idea. Um, hopefully that, that doesn't get um, – you're saying that doesn't get us like uh, blacklisted from from Twitter or something, uh, what we'll, we'll have to see. A little bit of breaking news, Mario, uh, that that we just ran into. Oh, uh, Adam Schefter reporting a, a, a bit of a reversal fr- from some news yesterday. Running back J.D. McKissick, who intended to sign a two-year, $7 million deal with the Buffalo Bills, He's back changed his mind back in Washington.
2: Oh, yeah. There we go. All right. Um, Hey, credit to credit to the bills for not matching the offer. I guess, uh, they were lucky that the, the, that Washington signed McKissick. He's useless. Uh, he, if you have a use for him, your team is losing and you suck. So to me, that's just a categorically useless player. Like I'm taking a developmental player. If I'm in that scenario, I'm not, I'm not just being make work for, uh, the the nearest guy who knows how to do a blitz pickup or whatever. I mean, JD McKissick is a running back who will catch you about 80% of his targets for 5.4 yards per target. And in the bills offense, there's very much no use for that. He would have, he would have been like a healthy scratch on that team because even when they're in a passing situation, uh, they're not throwing to the running backs. Really? It's like in the situation where um, whatever, I guess it was more so Kyle Allen and Alex Smith, In a situation when Alex Smith or Kyle Allen are throwing the ball to McKissick, it's a scenario where Josh Allen's running for nine yards. So Hmm. he would have done nothing at all with the Bills, and the Bills are lucky that Washington is uh, so dumb that they preempted them from being stupid too.
1: And, you know, Singletary and and Moss can already catch. So
2: Yeah, uh, especially – I don't know if Singletary really can, but Moss definitely can. Um, Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. it's ridiculous. McKissick is just not good. He's he's specifically someone that you need to destroy your offense to have a pretext for using him. It's it's ridiculous, but the the analytics say you got to get this pass catching running back. Like no, the analytics say you need to not lose like you will if you put McKissick on the field. So that, you know, knowing what we know about
1: uh, Washington's coaching staff and, and you know, it it's it obviously wanted McKissick back, of course.
2: Oh yeah, Scott Turner what? loves him. Scott Turner is just he, he really thinks McKissick is the key
1: over the, the moon you know, about him. But to, what does yeah. this mean for Antonio Gibson?
2: It means you're not doing all that much. or not nearly as much as you should anyway. Uh, Gibson's a better pass catcher than McKissick. It's, it's completely manufactured the necessity for McKissick in this offense. Like he's just not as good as other people they could put on the field. But Scott Turner, you know, it doesn't help in my opinion that he's such a clear ne- uh, nepotism case. He has not been held to accountability standards that other people tend to in their lives. So I don't think he's um, got enough of a distaste for failure and short sightedness. And, short-sightedness. and I, I think that he's committed to uh, both, basically. Oof.
1: Scathing, but tremendous as per usual. Uh, before we get on over to uh, our next couple of storylines, we got a message from our friends over at Blue Wire.
3: This RotoWire podcast is brought to you by my favorite meal kit. Factor. I gave Factor a try and I can tell you firsthand eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every meal arrives fresh, not frozen, and they're chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just 2 minutes. Every week, you'll have over 35 different options to choose from, and there's something for every diet, including calorie smart, protein plus, and keto, and there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after those wellness goals. One of my favorite things about Factor, it's the convenience. We're talking meals that are good to go in two minutes or less. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are. There's no prep, there's no mess, no cooking, no cleanup, none of that. It's perfect if you have a busy lifestyle and you can't dedicate an hour plus each day to preparing lunch or preparing dinner. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. Factor also offers options for every meal. Pancakes, smoothies, you name it. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, dinner, whatever you need, Factor has it. Factor's also tailored to your schedule, so you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals each week. Plus, you could pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. We've done the math, we've run the numbers over here. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be both nutritious and delicious. Head over to Factormeals.com slash RotoWire50 and use the code RotoWire50. That'll get you 50% off your order. That's code RotoWire50 at Factormeals.com slash RotoWire50 to get 50% off today.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform
1: And we got a message from our friends over at WinBet. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for RoadWire's fantasy podcast. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user-friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over-unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down on blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at baccarat. WinBet is currently available in nine states. That's Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia, while rapidly expanding. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. Register for WinBet today. Make a qualifying deposit and wager to receive $200 in free bets. Promotion may vary by state. Download WinBet now. It's W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for Rotowires fantasy podcast. All right, Mario, we got a couple more things to, to get to here. Your thoughts on the Devontae Adams kind of su- surprising, maybe not surprising, a uh, bit of drama where he is not going to be playing on the franchise tag.
2: Well, I managed to be surprised by, I guess, like how serious the situation is, how much it's already escalated or threatens to escalate in the near future. I definitely assumed he wouldn't play on the franchise tag, but I also assumed that they I thought like Rogers and him had been conspiring since like October to have these details already hammered out. And uh, I don't know if like, I don't know if Rogers was caught off guard by this. Like it seems hard to believe, right. That Rogers would hear this and be like, what? And I wouldn't have resigned if I knew that, like, how, how the hell would you not know this? So it all, for that reason looks confusing to me. And I, I don't know if this is one of those things I can figure out from where we're sitting, but Uh, it it seems at the very least more likely than I thought previously that Adams really does get moved because he can't agree to a contract with the Packers because he's seeking like 30 plus million per year or something like that. And I thought, you know, previously that we heard that and uh, I thought at the time that it meant like him and Rogers were conspiring to outprice themselves from what the Packers could pay and thus forcing the Packers to trade both probably to Denver And uh, yeah, I I don't know. I don't know why it still turned out to be true that they were looking for like eighty million combined, uh, but this time with Rogers seemingly not carrying out that demand of of being on the same team as Adams, and we thought it would be the vice versa too. So uh, if Adams is willing to go to another team, then he's clearly nixed uh, at least the vice versa part of that, and maybe you know it's just kind of maybe both of them nixed it. Maybe they. Maybe they actually did mean it was the last, uh, the last dance between the two of them. Uh, even if Rogers stayed in Green Bay or whatever, I don't know. I just I, I feel like Rodgers wouldn't have gone back. And, and you, would like thought, gone back. you would have thought you would have thought. I have no idea why it's gone on to this extent. I really have no clue. Yeah.
1: So now the Packers are are in a bind. And, and then you know, if you look at some of the cap casualties, it could be guys that that Rogers is like famously friend. You know, like you can clear up plenty of space. Um with, you know, a, a, like cutting a Randall Cobb or something and like, is that going to make Aaron Rodgers mad? Like everything is, it, it all flows back to just kind of, um, you know, placating Aaron Rodgers and making him happy and, and you know, to, to make cer- certain sacrifices, w- that would make him mad. But you also have, you need to have Devontae Adams, especially if you look at the rest of that receiving
2: core. Right. It looks like they're going to let Valdez Scantling maybe walk, depending on how, Lively, his market is so. Uh, they might be without him in addition to de- with being without Devontae. They probably have good reason for cutting Cobb. I guess that's only to say though they never had a good reason to trade for him, and Rodgers kind of made them so maybe he can make them keep him. I don't know. Uh, so maybe Cobb is gone, maybe not. If they don't get some speed though, and they're stuck with Lazard outside Cobb in the slot, uh, then. Yeah, that that could get a little bit cramped on Rodgers. We might see him revert to three years ago or whenever it was when he kind of had like seven yards per pass or whatever it was. Um, I think they could actually restock pretty quickly, especially if they can if they can actually trade Adams for, you know, the, the customary return of a franchise tag thing. Then I think this is a pretty nice class to start, you know, shooting some bullets at try to get some wide receivers. Uh, Cause you're probably going to get a couple good ones here and, and ones who can play right away too. So I think the Packers can still be good, even if they don't have Adams, but like it requires a sort of urgency to address the situation that they can't even show right now. And it gets, because like, it, they, they have to just kind of like reach a conclusion with Adams right now to address the possibility of him leaving, you know, like if, if they find out in uh, you know late April, oh, we really can't re-sign him now. We really have to trade him or whatever. Then they missed on Allen Robinson, whatever Will Fuller, all the all the free agents there still are are not going to be available at that point.
1: Right. So so this this needs to get settled uh, sooner rather than later. If you're Green Bay. Um, looking around just elsewhere, any teams that, that you feel like have done particularly well for themselves uh, thus far in free agency and a- any other teams that you're surprised by maybe their lack of inactivity so far?
2: Um, I thought Moelle Cox for signing for 18 million and three years for the Colts was a pretty good re-signing. I saw that people were uh, kind of criticizing Ballard for not doing anything else, but I don't know what else they're supposed to do. Uh, they, they you know, they're, they're kind of in their position and, and getting Mo Ali Cox, in my opinion, was, was a good move. Uh, sometimes there's just not much else to do. Um, I think the Cowboys are rapidly deteriorating. I mean, there's that Cooper trade from last weekend and um, not that re-signing Cedric Wilson would have been some sort of you know slam dunk assurance that they'll be good still. But losing Cedric Wilson to the Dolphins, Gallup having a week 16 ACL tear, trying to come back from that. Uh, keeping Dalton Schultz but losing Cooper and losing Wilson I think is pretty bad because uh, Dalton Schultz can only run about nine yards downfield if that and uh, can't block, can't really hold up in traffic that well because he's skinny and he has short arms. So he's going to all of a sudden find a much cr- more crowded field with Noah Amari Cooper pulling away defenders, creating the space that he thrived in last year and uh, I kind of worry about the whole offense falling apart. They might have to get rid of Lyell Collins. Uh, their cap situation is all screwed up uh, for a lot of reasons. It's not just a lot of people like to say it's just the Ezekiel Elliott contract. Zeke's contract is not big enough to explain the level of dysfunction with Dallas's cap situation. So they're going to end up a lot worse going into next year with year two of McCarthy. And I think we know how this ends. I, I think so as well.
1: Um, I, it, was, it was funny on, on Monday when like, 10 different NFL news sources all tweeted the same thing about um, Marcus Lawrence's contract or something. It all had the same exact language. Like (laughs) the first first NFL defensive end to wear number 90 to have, uh, you know, his money guaranteed for seven years in a row. Yeah.
2: So that was pretty, pretty. What what I want to do next time, if I'm the, that source, that agent or whatever, who sent it to those three people at the same time, I'm next time sending a screen capture that says, so they can't copy and paste it. So then they all have to type it as fast as they can. Ah. And we'll, we'll see like a couple of funny typos and like Tom Pellicero's that Schefter didn't have. And you can, you can see like, Oh, Tom's, Tom's the faster typer, but uh, Adam's uh, accuracy is better.
1: Uh, like the, the dark Knight with the, with the pool cue. We're going to have trials. one of them. There's
2: going to be like, the three of them are going to tweet out wrong first drafts and then delete them at the same time. And everyone's going to be like, what the hell's going on? Did they sign them or not? <laughs> We, we could use that, honestly. We, we yeah.
1: could use a little bit of shakeup rather than, um you know, just 18 tweets with with the same exact uh, language, from, you know, obviously coming from uh, the same place. Anything else that we haven't gotten to yet that you wanted to, to dive into a little bit before we sign
2: off here, Mario? I guess Russell Gage going to the Buccaneers is kind of interesting, but I don't know what they imagine they're going to do exactly because Gage can only play the slot and, I'm not convinced he's particularly good even there. Like I think defenses are kind of letting him run free and focusing on Kyle Pitts, uh, probably even quarter more than him. Uh, and that's the position that Chris Godwin has always played now. Like Godwin could play outside probably, but I haven't, I haven't seen like that specific, uh, declaration. Cause if, if they plan on making gauge play outside and keeping Godwin in the slot, I don't, I don't, I think that's 10 on 11 at that point.
1: Right. that, 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 doesn't seem to to make sense to me either maybe it's uh slot insurance to to give godwin some time to you know get back well to he's the got
2: to play because they're giving him 10 uh gauge has to play because they're giving him 10 million a year so mm-hmm. what, it's like he's going out there somewhere
1: well i mean aren't they kind of like overstocked on uh slot receivers to begin with i mean they, they just spent a draft pick on jalen darden a year ago if i remember correctly yeah, um, I, Tyler Johnson is is I more guess, of, a, of an outside guy, but still, I mean, mm. uh,
2: he's he's even kind of lacking like the speed to do that, so he might be better as like a big slot himself. But uh, they do have Cyril Grayson, I assume, and he actually looked pretty convincing last year. I thought so. Yeah, maybe, maybe Cyril Grayson, uh, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans is their starting loadout, and maybe they managed to get Gage. You know, six hundred and fifty slot snaps because they go into trips and they go into four wide often enough to do that.
1: Well yeah, we'll we'll see what, what happens there. But yeah, certainly I I didn't see that one coming uh for, for Tampa Bay and then on the other side. Boy, what is on the Falcons as far as re- receiving talent right now? I'm, I'm not sure that there's really any. Uh, they at kept holding me
2: days a chaos. So, I mean, we I actually we, like him more than we love
1: him, but as like your wide receiver four, as or something. a slot
2: receiver only, and like you don't really want a 5'8 guy playing outside unless he's as fast as Tyreek. Um, so, uh, they, Kyle Pitts is basically the answer, and I don't know what else because they have some guys on that team that would never be on my 90 man roster, let alone a 53 man roster, you know, like Christian Blake, it's just a joke. Like get, get some real NFL players in here at the very least. Like I drive yeah, they a Frank didn't... Darby after he ran like a four, six. And it's like, Oh, he's a downfield threat. who plays faster than he times. Like, no, he just looks faster than he is. And he's not going to be any good in the NFL.
1: Yeah. Cause the Arizona state uniforms make you look fast or something. Yeah. Um, But, but I mean, does it, does this shape how they address that their, their you know the top of the draft? Because I also feel like they just simply they they can't go with the receiver in the first round. There are too many other massive needs on this Falcons team to where they're they're taking a receiver with their first pick. But but you look at that receiving core now, it's like oh well maybe.
2: Yeah, I I guess they should try to ch- uh, trade back. Maybe their offensive line was awful for sure. So mm-hmm. uh, the thing is, they have Jake Matthews at left tackle. So. Uh, traditionally when you're drafting an offensive lineman that high, it's a left tackle. And uh, in this case, they can only get a right tackle. There's still a case for making that pick, I guess, but uh, they also have enough needs quite pertinently, including wide receiver that, yeah, maybe they should try to trade back or something and just kind of take anybody at receiver with the extra pick and and take an offensive lineman, like the one who falls the furthest or something. Maybe they'll be lucky and it'll be a worse case or something.
1: Right, yeah, no that that would be that'd be the ideal right now, but but either way, the, the Falcons um,
2: looking they like suck, <laughs> they're so bad.
1: It's not not great, not great. We'll have to see uh, how they approach uh, this draft, especially in light of how free agency has gone to this point. But that's gonna round things out for this edition, the free agency frenzy edition of the Road to Wire Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, brought to you by our friends over at WinBet for Mario Puig. I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening.
3: Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe.